Welcome to House to Home Podcast. It's here that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. So grab a cup of coffee, do the dishes, or even take a drive in your car. Whatever it is you do while listening, I hope you feel right at home. Welcome to House to Home Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about household finances. We figured we would bring you guys one in time for the holidays. We know that many people are evaluating their bank account, maybe just glancing at it, but this is the time of year that we're gearing up for the holidays, for Christmas, buying gifts, and 2022 is on its way. So today, it's myself, my husband Mason, and our dear friend David Dodd, who is a jack of all trades, I think. Used to do music, but now you're all into finances. Um, I would say finances is your main passion now, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. still pretty average at everything else. <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at this stuff. But you're superb at finances, which is why you're on our podcast. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, David. Yeah. So, uh, number one, the Christian answer, obviously the obligatory, I'm a Christian. Good. <laughs> so good. I am qualified to speak to the audience cause I come from the same background, <laughs> but, um, I'm also a husband and father. We have one on the way and a two and a half year old. And yeah, I'm a financial planner, so I've kind of fumbled around and had quite a journey in my uh, career so far and have just learned a lot and looking to integrate faith and how to do that with money. And so that's kind of become my passion here. And then I guess I would also mention I am definitely the funniest person uh, out of my friend group. Uh, Just wanted to put that on the record since Mason is here. This is Mason. I'll confirm that. You did have some good jokes, though, before we started recording. I did. Before he met me. In pale, before he in met conversion. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you are a Christian financial planner, and you use biblically responsible investment strategies. What exactly is biblically responsible investing? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I guess um, before I get into that, it would probably be helpful to kind of Uh, give a little bit of why is that even a thing? Why is that even important um, to be distinguished and say that you're a Christian financial planner? And so just quick uh, facts for the audience to know. There are over 2,300 verses on stewardship, provision, and trust, um, you know, things relating to money and possessions in the Bible. 15% of what Jesus said had some relation to, you know, an economic, uh, you know, impact in some way. And then 19 of the 39 parables, we won't debate how many parables there are because obviously that (laughs) is debatable, but um, a large chunk of them uh, have some sort of financial component in them. And so, you know, just to qualify, should we even be talking about this and to what degree, um, there's a lot in the Bible about money. And so I think it's oftentimes overlooked and ignored. And uh, so, yeah, so that's just a little qualifier for everybody before we get into it. Um, so, so to answer your question, you asked, you said you're a, finance, a Christian financial planner and you use biblically responsible investment strategies. What exactly is that? So biblically responsible investing is essentially um, seeking to, in my opinion, worship God through the way that we manage our money and the way that we invest it. And so there's a variety of investment strategies out there and different ways that you can invest. You have uh, you know, groups that are investing for environmental change and, and other things like that. Um, and then there's a group of people and Christians like us who are investing to uh, impact the kingdom. And so we're, we're doing kind of a, a multifaceted approach to excluding companies that partake in things that 
you know, we don't believe in, such as abortion or, you know, pornography. Maybe that's what they profit from. They manufacture the drugs or maybe they give philanthropically to those things. But um, things that I personally want no part in and I found that many Christians don't either. And so that's what BRI really is is getting those things out and then seeking to invest in good companies that are impacting the world positively. Okay, so I'm learning actually too because I've not talked to you in depth about this before. I've talked to your wife a little bit. So how would you say that BRI and financial planning actually relate then to the home? Yeah, um, well, <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, very practically, obviously it relates to the fact that you have to pay your bills, right? right I mean, so, right. you know, in a very practical sense, without hyper-spiritualizing, you know, every bill that comes across your table, um, it, it is the fuel for the household first and foremost. So um, that's kind of the, the easy answer. <clears throat> but the, the more difficult answer, and probably what you're digging at, I would imagine, is how does the actual stewardship of your money relate to the home in the, in the less practical, in the less obvious ways? And so... Um, just high level anxiety and stress is a, is a way that it relates. So money is consistently ranked as the number one source of stress for Americans. Uh, you can look at the APA studies on that, um, and it has been for many, many years. I don't know if it was specifically you know, this year. Uh, you can look that up, but I know for a long while that was the, the number one thing. Probably COVID now. Yeah, probably, but that may exacerbate and make the, the money issue worse, too. So maybe, right. who knows? I, I don't know where it falls on the list, but point being, it's a it's a big stressor for everyone, Christian or non-Christian. Um, you know, and then other simple anxiety, stress things, we stress about affording the things we want and need. You know, we stress about the future, what we want. So uh, it affects the home in that way. I would say uh, debt as well. So it kind of makes these things even worse. So we're worried yeah. about all these things and goals and things we want to accomplish and buy. And then we go out and a lot of times get it on credit. And we might over leverage ourselves or put ourselves in a position where we limit our flexibility to respond to what God has for us. And so there's just a whole lot of ways that, that can tie in as well. And conflict uh, would be another one. So money is consistently a top reason for divorce. Mm -hmm. It's the number one issue that couples fight about. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it impacts the home in a litany of ways. And uh, I think it's just, you know, again, I, I think people, if you don't fight about money, if you've never fought about money <laughs> with your spouse, <laughs> then, like, you probably, like, maybe you they don't speak the same language. I, yeah. I don't know, because I don't think it's possible um, and so we just need to start talking about it more um, and, and understand the impacts it has. Do you think that's like the main thing that you should do is just communicate better? Because I know with this being house to home, I think a lot of people, we've had even people question like as regards to marriage, like how do we budget within our marriage? How do we talk about money? And do you just think you just need to communicate better or what? Yeah, just be tips? better. That's the, no. <laughs> just be better. <laughs> just Do be more. a better person. No, I, I, yeah, definitely communication is uh, obviously key, but, but there needs to be some method or system for that communication. There needs to be some ground rules. You know, uh, if you're if you are just going to dictate and, and come in and say how things are going to be and expect your spouse to mm -hmm. just get in line, well, that's not going to be helpful. So right. coming to the table as a couple and actually jointly you know, pursuing goals and, and talking through them, I think you have to have the clarity before you, and the clarity and the vision, I should say, before you can actually, you know, set any path forward that you're going to both be on board for. You're still going to have conflict, but the problem is people just come to the table with what they already think, and they don't actually come to come to an agreement at that table with each other, right. I think. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, the communication, that makes a lot of sense too, because you got to ask, like you said, you mentioned vision and well, there's, there's goals for money. Like, I think that if couples just expect that the other person can read their mind when it comes to money, I think that's setting you up for failure uh, because there are goals for money. It's not just to make as much money as possible. I think, well, although some people might think that, right? So right. like one, one person in the marriage might think, well, our goal for money in the house is just to make as much of it as possible. Whereas the other person might be saying, well, I just want to live a happy and healthy and balanced lifestyle. So it's not about more money. It's about how can we do the things that we want to do and glorify God along the way. So maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Like when it comes to investing, is it just about making more money? What What is the goal of investing? What, what do you, what does that conversation look like when you set like a married couple down? No, oh, yeah, that's uh, it. It'll, it would be hard to cover all the things that kind of need to be hit in order for that to be, uh, you know, successful and helpful. I think that conversation, but at a high level, that we're doing exactly that. We're we're coming to the table and we're trying to get an understanding and an agreement on on values. And so, what often happens is you start people start with goals, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. that's highly popularized is goals-based planning and that's what you're trying to do is you're setting up these goals and you just go out and execute and uh, that's that's helpful you know in kind of a corporate america you know capitalistic mindset but when you actually start to think through well what is this for what is the why that that's the piece that most people are missing is they've not done the the hard and difficult work of digging down and finding out what it's actually for for them and what it means and why they're doing these things because when you do that oftentimes when i sit down with people it's not what they tell you in, in that first you know instance, the first thing that comes to their mind. What comes from their mind generally is all of these you know goals that are kind of just passed down from society, and we just kind of yeah. accept them. Um, you know, retirement is a great example of that. You know, without getting too far into it, um, I'll just give you a hint. It's made up. It, it's it's a marketing <laughs> scheme to sell financial products, yeah. and that's it. Came about sometime around the 1950s, and that you know it's wonderful for getting people to save a lot of money and invest in products, um, and it's done quite well. And, and it's not all bad either. But it's it wasn't really a thing before that. Uh, yeah. We kind of just made it up, and so we just take that. And people, that's their goal. You know, I'm going to retire around what 60, 65. Almost everybody, that's their answer. Why? They don't have an answer, and that—that's the problem—is that lack of clarity and vision and understanding of values first. That's the only way you can build a solid foundation. Start with the values. That's the bedrock, which ultimately is rooted in the Bible and, and what are God's principles for money. Yeah. So, really so retirement. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Is—is is that something that you kind of try to sway people away from? Because it kind of sounded like what you were saying is like retirement is this made-up thing. Um, People really make money off of it, especially investors. Um, So is that something that when you're talking to these people that you're trying to get them to not retire? Or is that something that you will work with them to retire? What does that look like in a a conversation with someone? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I'm not. The goal for me when I come to the table is not to dictate and tell people what to do at all. Mm -hmm. If they want to do something that I I wouldn't do, that's not up to me. It's their mm-hmm. money, you know, and, and they're ultimately the steward. They they will answer to God for how they hold okay. it. And um, I don't think that everything is prescriptive enough to go around telling people what to do. Um, I will say just to speak to the retirement thing specifically, um, I wouldn't sway anybody away from retirement per se, but it depends on how you define that. So to me, it's it f- f- for a catchier way to say it. 
I call it reassignment instead of resignment. And so basically just, you know, the only example of any sort of retirement in the Bible is in Numbers 8. And it's talking about working in the tent and from 25 to 50, I think. And then at 50, you know, they, they're not going to work in the holy tent anymore or the sacred tent. I don't know the exact language used there. Um, but they're going to then be basically reassigned at that point. They're going to help, but they're not going to work directly in the tent. And so it's not a ceasing to work. It's a reassignment. And so if your goal is a lifestyle of leisure, I will tell you from a Christian point of view, no. I just disagree with that. I, I don't see any basis for not working and pursuing leisure um, because that, that to me would be seeking of self. And that, again, is not a biblical idea. So what you're saying is that when people retire, they actually don't get an excuse to quit being fruitful and <laughs> cultivating <laughs> yeah. the things God's given you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. God's still got stuff for you your whole life. Uh, just because in the 1950s they came up with this idea of retirement doesn't supersede the, the Bible and doesn't supersede God and, and the fruit of the Spirit. That that should always be you know showing in your life and and it and it won't if you stunt it and if you just kind of do your own thing and isolate and get what are they they call it recliner-itis you know when you just you <laughs> fall in that chair after you retire and you just yeah. die in it basically and I, i'm not a fan of that yeah. so many people get more depressed and like their their life their value of life goes downhill and i think that's actually encouraging for people who are older maybe don't have a great retirement or don't have the option yep. to retire like you're saying in that numbers scripture they may shift it may be a different type of work it may be less vigorous less physical however they should still be working and then like you said mason still be still being fruitful in whatever way that may be because yeah. i think too many people can get really depressed if they either don't have the retirement or they maybe they got the retirement they wanted and because they're doing nothing they're finding themselves in a very depressed state yeah. And I should clarify, um, I, I don't think that that means you have to work for pay either, I, just to, right. to make that clear. I'm not saying you never stop working for money. Um, that's great if you can do that. And I think it's a, a, goal, a good goal for a lot of people to have that financial independence. I just would reframe it mentally from you know calling it retirement, which just sounds like quitting, mm -hmm. and, and refocus on, well, what am I going to do? And, and what you find is if people start, actually, like I've given people, you know, like a, a like a calendar and write out, you know, what do you think you're going to do in retirement? And, mm -hmm. and like, you can only put so many tea times in there uh, <laughs> before suddenly you realize like, Oh, this isn't going to be that great. And, you know, so people need something to retire to and they not do. just from. Yeah. I've seen so many older guys that they retire and they go for about maybe a year and then they've already picked up another mm -hmm. job. Oh, it's yeah. not making near as much money. And it's usually something that they don't even enjoy as much. So I think, yeah, like you said, having those conversations before you get there is a really good idea so you can kind of plan out what it's going to look like because you could actually change uh, vocationally to something that a lot more aligns with who you are as a person and not just get kind of stuck to where like you're just bored and you have to do something so you just pick up the first available job. Yeah. And a lot of old men do that. I've seen so many guys retire, get bored, and then pick up this just dumb job and they're just doing it just to have social interaction with other yeah. people and keep yep. from doing what you said, laying in a lazy boy all day and getting stiff. Like they don't want to do that either, but it, it's not really much better, if any better than just working at the job they had before. Yeah. Yeah. And there's actually statistics to support it. I don't have them in front of me, uh, but I, I remember there's a book I read uh, by Mitch Anthony called the new Re retire mentality. And he talks a lot about that retiring you know, to something said from it. And uh, he, he's super good if you're looking for resources on that. 
but he actually gave statistics on the what he called boomerang i think uh, retirees basically you know they and and it's a shocking number of people that mm-hmm. end up back in the workforce and I mean, it all comes back to, again, like, you know, we're taking our cues from the wrong place. And so we we don't need to get them from society. We need to think about God and God's word and what he says about it. And uh, what does he think about work and vocation? And, and you know, you realize that uh, it doesn't really make sense to stop being productive because he's created us, uh, you know, to be productive. That That's kind of the whole, well, not the whole point. <laughs> that would be the wrong way to put it. But, <laughs> right, but as far but as work is concerned, you know, right, it, yeah. being productive yeah. is important. Yeah, for we're us. called to work our gardens and keep them. And to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. And not, not just have babies. Right, yes. right, yeah. I mean, and that that's how it all ties back to the home, too. We've been given all this stuff to cultivate it. Um, it might not be a literal garden, but you do. Most people have a home that they own, and there's ways to improve that home. There's ways that you can improve all things on your property, really. If you, if you own mm-hmm. stuff, it's your job as a Christian, as a human being, to cultivate that and to grow it. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the kind of investment mindset comes into it, because it doesn't matter if you're working at a job or not. The stuff that you have... That's, that's your talents. You're supposed to invest that in whatever way that might look. So, yeah. I'm thinking too, like the family unit, like the family unit, as far as retiring goes, if a woman or a man has it in their head, I think that's, this is why it's so important to kind of shift your mindset here. Like you're saying, if they have it in their head that they're just going to retire at the age of 50 or 60 and be on the beach for the rest of their life. What about your grandchildren? Mm. Like, what about being a grandma? What about being a grandpa? I think work never ends and the blessing of that work never ends either. If you just think, okay, I I had these kids and I I raised them and now they're in their thirties and forties and they're on their own. See you later. Like that is not, that's not a biblical mindset either. And I think if we can shift our mindset at a younger age, I think it kind of gears us up for those older seasons when, yeah, we may be slower, but we can pour our lives into other things like you know, being a grandfather or a grandmother. I think there's just so many avenues you can think about this as far as how it relates to the family. Like the Proverbs say, a wise man leaves an inheritance to his Mm -hmm. children's children. Yeah. It's not even just his kids. He leaves it to his grandkids. He doesn't sap all of his retirement, all of his investment, and spend it all on himself and his wife at the beach. He saves up. He gets to actually give that to his kids and his grandkids, and he gets to watch them enjoy it too. I mean, what a blessing it is to watch like a grandfather pass something on to his grandkid and watch him get started in life. Like that, that be like the, what gets the wheels turning on this young man that he he probably didn't have much, but grandpa can help him out and get a, get him started. I can remember, uh, Papa, when we first got married, he did things like that for us, like buy a lawnmower for us. Like Mm -hmm. that's a huge blessing. Like most young people when they first get married, don't have the money, just go buy a nice lawnmower. But how much of a blessing it is to have a grandfather in your life to kind of pour into you and use the, the, the money that God has given to him over the years to bless his grandson, get to see it. That, that you're you're cheating yourself if you don't do those kind of things because you're, you're, you're not going to say the beach the... is bad take your no. grandkids to the beach <laughs> no but, but but i think everyone would agree it's a lot more fulfilling to see yeah. your future generations flourishing and you get to be a, a, a part of that to yeah. help with that well well how i mean in a real simple way to think about it is you know how you invest your time you know it's kind of like a small vote for the things that matter for you mm-hmm. just like when you spend a dollar mm-hmm. it's kind of a small vote and so 
I mean, just really think carefully and plan that out. There should be some sort of a plan and, and a reasoning that's solid and comes back to Scripture for how you intend to live out your retirement or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's the common language, so we'll keep using it, you know. But I, I would just really think hard and consider, well, what would be the best use of my time and where does God want me? And then, you know, absolutely, if that is on the beach to have some fun as well, enjoy leisure mm-hmm. that you've not had uh, to some degree. Absolutely. It just can't be your only sole purpose and mission uh, after you quit working. Like if you're, <laughs> well, if your whole point of working is to stop working, which most people's it is, it's <laughs> right. like, I want to work and long enough so that I can save up money and not have to do this anymore. It's like, you're going to have a terrible you know, yeah. work experience. You're going to hate your work the whole time. It's a means to an end. And then when you get to the end, you're very likely not going to be satisfied with that either. And so um, you can be happy and content now, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what situation you're in. And, you know, that Philippians 4, Paul talks about that. You know, it's he, he's saying he's done with plenty and he's done with mm-hmm. less and that you can be content regardless of your circumstances. And so we need to just learn how how to be content with what we have and be happy where we are, certainly plan for the future, um, but we don't know what that's going to look like. And so so you have to really try to balance those two things out. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy, but that's a lot of the work that we're mm-hmm. doing is helping people. As you've noticed, it's not a lot about investments. <laughs> that's a very small piece of all this because, honestly, you have to do all of the deep, difficult work of understanding what you're shooting for before you can allocate your investments appropriately. Once we get to that point, that part's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that principle of a every dollar is a vote in some way. So going back to that idea, Paul tells us not to ask if our food is sacrificed to idols. Now this is his way of kind of saying that we're free to purchase things without doing a research paper on every brand of shampoo that we buy, whatever it is. Like we don't have to go to that extreme. Now, how is this similar or dissimilar when it comes to our investments? Yeah, yeah, that that is a good question, and that I, actually that comes up quite a bit. Um, so, real real quickly, I would say consumership and ownership would be a big distinction to make right off the bat, mm. and so that's that's the one that people oftentimes fail to make is that, yes, if I go buy baby shampoo from the department store, um, you know, maybe I'm buying it from a company that does some things I'm not real happy with. Uh, you know, that, that would be uh, totally reasonable to, to realize that and find that out. But what I'm really doing is I'm voting for the store to stock more baby shampoo and mm. saying that that's, you know, that's where my money's going. When you own something, you can't say, hey, I want the profits, you know, just from uh, the baby shampoo. Don't give me the profit from the abortion drugs that you manufacture. Um, there's there's no picking and choosing. And so it's important to make that distinction that when you own something, I don't care, you know, how minuscule of an owner you are as a minor, minority shareholder, you're an owner. And there's responsibility mm-hmm. that comes from that. And so, you know, the, the easiest way to get this in our minds is to bring it down a level. So if... Bree, you're starting a company and uh, your primary business is going to be, you know, I don't know, helping Christians do something great. We'll just, (laughs) we won't even really flesh it out that much. Um, But 5% of your revenue is going to come from distributing pornography. I'm not giving you five bucks. Right. You know, I'm not putting money into what you're doing. Um, so that's the difference between ownership and, and consumership. If, if I were to partake in whatever the good thing you're doing as a consumer uh, from your business, that would be one thing. 
still might want to consider, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not saying there's no place for things like that, but just because you, you might decide to invest differently. Well, that's because it is different. You're, you're, it's ownership in that mm-hmm. case. Um, you don't have to boycott everything. You don't have to not shop anywhere. That's not the answer at all. In my opinion, um, there, there are times for that, but, uh, this is more about what do I want to actually own? Yeah. You know, I think that's a really helpful and healthy distinction too, because especially within Christian communities, like there's, like you said, this big trend of boycotting. Like if they find out that there's anything fishy about this company, then they're done. Like they won't even shop there. And I think that if you do that, and if you actually did like a study on, like if you went to Walmart or Target or wherever, like if you started doing that, like you'd basically not be able to buy like anything, anything. there. Yeah. And I, what most people don't realize is that it's it's everywhere. So they it, when something is kind of like in their face, then they won't do it. And I, I get that too. Like um, just to be honest, if someone is like waving a pride flag in my face, I'm probably not going to walk in that store. But I, I think it's helpful to but see. But I will use the women's restrooms because they're cleaner. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding, by the way. Yeah, but but I think that's helpful. Like thinking the dif- the difference between being a consumer and being an owner of someone or something. When you when you walk in a store, you're free to buy the stuff in there. You don't have to like like Paul says. You don't have to ask if this is sacrificed to idols because the reality is is back in Paul's day, most of the stuff probably was like there's fishy business going on because it was a it was a pagan culture and we live in a pagan culture. America is not a Christian culture. I mean, we can say that it had roots there, whatever. But when you go to Target, like. That you're not buying a bunch of Christian products. You're buying products. Yeah. But there's there's a difference between going there and buying your stuff and then taking the money that you've earned and then pouring it into something that, you, like you said, you become an owner when you invest in something. Yeah. When, when you buy shares, you own a part of that company and you're making decisions on behalf of that company the way that you spend your money. So, yeah, that's just really helpful. I'd never even heard that before, the difference between being an owner and consumer when it comes to this topic that that's a really helpful distinction yeah yeah i'm glad it's helpful there, there's there there is a uh, a widely uh popular christian radio host who will will uh, remain unnamed for this but he kind of explains it away and, and you get this a lot a lot of people they take the route of well this seems legalistic and so they just dismiss mm-hmm. it you know um, which I understand, you know, I'm not going to say I didn't have like questions at first. I wanted to check it out as well. You know, you're skeptical of things like this. He, he uses the example of like a used car. And, uh, so it's helpful because people will probably run into this if they start to explore it. Um, they'll say, well, if I buy a used car from somebody, you know, maybe it's a Ford or whatever, um, I'm giving the money to that person. I'm not giving the money to Ford. And that's how they view their ownership and their, their trading of their stock that they actually own or the stocks that are underlying in their mutual funds or ETFs. Mm-hmm. And so they'll say, well, it's just happening on an exchange. You know, it's just matching buyers and sellers like the New York Stock Exchange or the mm-hmm. NASDAQ. And uh, while that's true, the part that they usually miss is, but but you're an owner. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you got the shares. When you get the shares, you're an owner and you're entitled to, as an owner, profits from the company, from everything they do, good or bad. And so, you know, this isn't about getting legalistic, but it's about really taking a deeper look and understanding, like, is there a way that I can invest that's more glorifying to God? Can I take mm-hmm. a thing that's pretty mundane, pretty self-focused a lot of times, and can I turn it into a worshipful act? Yeah, and uh, this helps helps people do that, I've found. Right. So so looking at it more so as a, a principle of stewardship rather than the legalistic idea that's like, is this a sin or not? Exactly. And, yeah. and I think that's what most people have a hard time doing is like, 
they just go straight to the, is it a sin or not? Just like, tell me investors, am I sinning if I do this? Yeah. And, and, How close to the line can I get? Right. And what they need to realize is that there's more nuance than that. It's not a matter of like sin or not sin. It's a matter of stewardship. How are you going to do this to the glory of God? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to do all things to the glory of God. And we're, anything that we do. Which is not, right after the meat sacrificing idols I mentioned that's in the same passage. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, and we're, we're called to do all things in faith. And if you can't do it in faith, it is sin. So if, if you look at that company and you see that like, oh, that's pretty gross, some of the things they do, I don't know how I feel about that. And you can't say, I'm going to invest in this company with faith and believe that this is the right decision to make. Well, then, yeah, it probably is a sin. But most people don't ever get to that level. They, they don't think through things like that. They just want someone else to do that hard, hard work for them. They want you. <laughs> they want the investor <laughs> yeah. to be like, tell me, is it a sin or not? Like, And if it's not, then they're like, all right, clean conscious. Uh, this guy told me I was fine. So like you become their like high priest that tells them <laughs> if, if you're in the good Which or Which is what I have everyone call me just for the nonsense. <laughs> high, high, high priest dog. Yeah, that's what I go by. Yeah. It's your new name. So, so what role, David, does generosity play in the home? When we start to think about investments, uh, we throw our money here into like an investor and doing that. But what about like things outside of uh, like throwing it in? I'm trying to think the, the the right way to make this distinction. Like, so investing, you're putting money in really to get money out. That's what investing is. Like, you, you don't invest with no expectation of return. Except but, for with our vehicles. I can flesh that out. Right. <laughs> you already started. I'm yeah. like, man, I don't know what Jeep even believes in. <laughs> and here I'm sitting in one. But, uh, but generosity, you don't give with an expectation of return. So, so how is that different? What role does that play in the home? And maybe in the way that you kind of counsel people when they are thinking about their money. Yeah, generosity is, to me, it's the calibrating action. Um, it, it brings us back into alignment a lot of times with God. Um, not as in that it, it's reconciling everything. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, conflating it to that. But it, it's something that we can actively do that aligns us with God and His purposes and kingdom building. And so uh, just... An example, uh, when you read in Matthew, I believe it's 621, it talks about, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so, you know, you kind of think of that and, and I know everybody's probably heard, well, you're reading it backwards. You know, <laughs> everybody's probably heard that little tidbit. Um, but we usually think that that means whatever is in our heart that we're going to put our money in it is kind of how we read it. And it's really the opposite. It's it's saying that where we're putting our treasure, that's where our heart goes. And so the, the easy example would be, when you have that picture of the kid you sponsor overseas on your fridge, well, guess what? You're, you've invested in that. So now, now you become even more invested. You double down. You're praying. You're thinking about them. Um, it becomes more important and magnifies it. And in the same way, we can calibrate ourselves with God and his kingdom by investing it and putting our money where our mouth is, quite literally. Um, because if you really believe what the Bible says about taking care of the, the, the poor and the widows and the needy and about giving in general— then there's not really a good precedent for not investing in the kingdom. Usually we, we find ourselves doing less than we would like um, because it's inconvenient and because we honestly have bought into what the culture's doing at large. The, the other thing I would say is that it, it's a really good, giving is a really good contentment barometer um, as well. So, you know, it's really an acknowledgement. When we give, um, it's an outward admission 
that we have more than we need, that we have abundance, that we have enough. And so um, by doing that, I think it just really roots us and grounds us in, you know, the teaching of Scripture about contentment and that it's not found in our circumstances. And so if we can find ways, even little ways like, you know, giving and, and whatever giving looks like for you as a percentage, um, you know, that's not the point, but just the admission that God, you know, this comes from you, all of it, and, uh, you know, I'm giving it back to you, and I have more than I need. So is generosity then, you said it's kind of the barometer of contentment, is generosity the amount that you give after you've already got everything that you want, and then you just kind of skim it off the top? Like, what is generosity? Like a milk, like a glass of milk, like all natural cow milk, you just skim off the cream. That's what I'm imagining. You keep that for yourself. I, I do think a lot of people view it that way, uh, for sure. I, I know a lot of people approach it that way. It's you, you give what you can at the end of the day, and that's a that's a cash flow issue. Um, that is something that I look at with people, you know, understanding where your cash flow is actually going and prioritizing that um, at, a, at a real simple basic level to ensure that those things are occurring first in priority. Um, and then you live on the rest. And so it all kind of ties back to real basic stuff like spending less than you earn, you know, and avoiding debt. And so there's a lot of reasons you do all of those things. And, and uh, so, yeah, I, I would I, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of. I wanted to ask it because I think so many people do think like that. Like generosity kicks in after I've got my bills paid. Yeah, that's not which, how it works. I think in it some be ways it should. Well, I mean, in some ways you need, do need to pay your bills. Like, you do. Like yeah, you, yeah. you don't you don't go and give to the person down the street <laughs> uh, when you don't have the money. But I think before that ever before you ever get there and the bills do, you need to have that principle of generosity built in. Like you said, assessing your values way ahead of time like knowing that i want to be a family i want to be a household that is generous is something that needs to be done up front and it doesn't matter how much you're making it doesn't matter if you make a ton this month or very little you need to have that heart mentality that says i want to be giving back Mm -hmm. which it kind of leads us to the next question um and i know this is a touchy subject so how much touch it yeah so how much (laughs) Should we give? Is it ten percent of my home that's God's? Is it? Uh, what is it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think. I, well, I say it's a good question. I actually think it's a terrible question. <laughs> In a very loving way, Mason. Uh, the the issue with the question is, it, it it presupposes something that's just wrong to begin with. So, um, the it's all God's. So, so that's the number one thing. Like, God owns it all. And so you can see that Psalms 24, 1, it talks about the earth and the Lord and everything in it belong to him. Um, that's not a, that's a paraphrase, but close enough. And then the earth uh, is the Lord, the fullness thereof. Yeah. Well, that's a different uh, translation than the one I've got, but <laughs> well, that was better than mine. Uh, I don't have it memorized quite as well as you. Uh, and then Deuteronomy, I believe it's in eight and verse 17 ish, somewhere in there. It talks about, um, you know, him giving us the ability to even earn wealth. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we just need to first take, take a step back before we try to figure out what share we're going to give God, you know, like, like we're business partners or something. Um, he, he owns it all. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, He's the CEO. Uh, yes, it, it, yeah, that's a new book coming out. God is my CEO. <laughs> yeah, actually, pretty catchy. <laughs> yeah, and probably also a terrible book. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that would be the first thing. So um, yeah, certainly you have to kind of get to the point of the whole ten percent of the tithing. I'm not going to blow you off, but I just want to make the point that God does own it all. And so no, ten percent's not His. All of it's His. Uh, that's the first thing. Um, and then to more directly answer it, I mean, a tithe literally means a tenth part 
um, you can see examples of the tithe. But there were actually, you know, when you get into the Old Testament, you look at the, the different um, types of tithes. There's estimates. I'm not saying I know the exact answer. I'm not a scholar in that way, nor could I verify with certainty. But it's more likely that they were giving with three tithes that they have, with the, the, the cherry tithe or the poor tithe, the festival tithe, and the Levitical tithe, probably on average more between 20 to up to 33% are some of the wow. estimates I've seen um, you know, per year on average. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that the problem is we approach the question wrong. And it's like, how much do I have to give? And it's mm -hmm. like, well, how much do I need to keep? It is yeah. a much, much mm -hmm. better question um, because we we tend to, every time we get a raise or we make more money or we have more increase, um, proportionally, we might continue giving a certain percentage or something, but why, why is it that our standard of living always has to increase? Why, why couldn't our standard of giving increase? Um, and, and it's just things that, it's just there's these assumptions that need to be challenged around how we give and how we should give. So that's that's kind of a quick um, background on the tithe. I would also say uh, it, you're going to have people questioning, well, did it go away with the Old Testament? Obviously, mm -hmm. that's the big argument. And I don't want to really argue that <laughs> in full here, but I will mention that tithing was even, it preceded the Mosaic Law. And so you can see examples in Genesis 14.20 um, where Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And then you can also see Genesis 28, 22, where Jacob promised to tithe to the Lord. And so, you know, there are, this isn't completely and only tied to the Mosaic Law. It is a helpful thing to know. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it's a law, uh, personally, if you're asking my opinion. I don't think there's, I don't think it's a sin. I don't think there's, a, like, a mandate you have to give 10% now. But I certainly don't see a compelling reason why we wouldn't be giving more. Mm -hmm. um, Right. I think you hit hit the nail on the head that it's really a heart issue when it comes down to it. It's not a matter of like, is it right or wrong? And what is the specific amount looking at it through the lens of like the law? Like, like you said, it, it went before the law. It was there before because it's something built into the nature of the world. Like mm -hmm. generosity is something that humans are really required to participate in because that's what a full and faithful human heart looks like. It looks like giving it looks like being generous and it's looks not like asking the dumb questions or like what is the bare minimum that i can give <laughs> yeah. to where uh i feel like i'm giving and i get that nice feeling of like i did my part but really your heart is just i just want to check the box oh, yeah. and that's really what it comes down to so many people they do tithe and they they believe faithfully and wholeheartedly that there is this kind of law that they must give 10% and then, then they probably give like an extra one, 1%. So they're like giving 11%. They think, man, I've re I'm nailing it. Uh, I'm giving 11%. I'm over and above the law. And they just write the check. And all they're thinking about is like how awesome I am because I'm doing over and above when really they're not thinking about like the whole heart issue of like, are you just doing this to, to like check the box or are you doing it because you love God and you love others, which is really the whole matter yeah. of the law to begin with, like you can sum up the whole thing there. Like, are you loving God and you, are you loving others or are you just loving yourself and making yourself feel better about this? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's super good points. And, and I actually had a couple, let me see. I had a couple statistics I was going to share. Um, yeah. Christians. So uh, I, I'll have to get you the exact year of when this study was, cause it's not the most recent one, but uh, within the last five to 10 years, uh, the, the Christians were giving around two and a half percent of income. Um, and so uh, for families making seventy-five thousand dollars in income, only one of one percent of them gave at least ten percent. 
people making $20,000 a year are eight times more likely to give than someone making an annual income of Mm $75,000. And so what you see is uh, a glide path in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. That's that whole standard of living instead of standard of giving. Not only are we, we're we're not even getting to to what we, you know, whether you think it's law or not, um, to that 10% a lot of times, but we're actually going backwards as our income increases. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you start to really get into the dangers of money. And (laughs) yeah, greed, you've got greed and you've also got fear, you know, which are the two biggest motivators, I think, when it comes to money. And so people are fearful and and then you got to start asking tough questions like, am I accumulating this money in order to, is it, is it my security? You know, mm-hmm. is this, is mm-hmm. this what I'm putting my trust in? And there's a lot about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you read through the scriptures and specifically in uh, first Timothy, there's a lot of things in there about that. Um, and, you know, money is dangerous, inherently dangerous. And statistically, it's pretty proven that that seems to be the case. We often fail as our income goes up and we're more prosperous we, we don't even hit the baseline a lot of times. Yeah. The other thing I would say, too, is so the distinction between, uh, you know, grace giving and law giving. So the 10 percent and then, you know, giving in a grace New Testament kind of way uh, where it's whatever you feel. Um, I would just point out that it's kind of shocking how much more effective the law was when you look at the statistics. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's an important point to be made that um, it's really sad uh, to me to see that the law really was more effective as far as how we manage our finances in a lot of ways because we're, you know, again, two and a half percent is the average giving rate that we see. And so you actually had, you know, if if those estimates are correct, you know, between 20 and 30 percent, I mean, that's like 10 times plus more effective. And, and, you know, even if it's just 10%, we're talking about four times more effective. And so um, I think just to interrupt, I think that that speaks to the heart of the, the giver too. And like the genuineness of the believer, because the whole thing with the new covenant was that God was coming to write that law on their hearts. And I think it just goes to show that if, the old covenant believers were giving more than the new covenant believers, then perhaps that law hasn't effectively been written on their heart, that they don't get it really, that they're just kind of in this for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's super good. That's another point that I, I always like to make is that uh, God didn't really lower the standard. Uh, he usually raised it. And so, you know, yeah. lust became uh, adultery and hate became murder. And so, you know, it, it is an interesting thing that we just relegate we're just going to throw this one out because because quite honestly i just don't think we want to deal with it a lot of times but the principle was good it was good before mosaic law it was good then and uh, i don't see any reason uh, or any compelling reason at least that i've seen so far to say that we should be giving less Um, again not a law but we we should have something we're aiming for Mm -hmm. and if it needs to be a a big enough number in our world to be sacrificial to some degree. Uh, otherwise, it's it becomes it borders on that compulsive giving, which isn't pleasing to God. I don't think. Um, it maybe maybe it's better than nothing. I don't know. Uh, you know, that's up to God to judge your heart and your motives and attitudes w- when you're approaching that. But if you're just writing a check and it's easy and it's out of abundance and you're doing it compulsively and there's no joy in it, um, you know, that that's probably worse than the crazy grandma, 85 year old (laughs) sending the last five bucks she's got, can't feed her cats anymore. And she sends it to the TV guy, you know, evangelist who's telling them to sew and they're going to be blessed (laughs) and all sorts of other prosperity stuff. 
I'd say that's probably more pleasing to God than the person who's just unsacrificially, compulsively giving. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things there that can be unpacked. But um, yeah, I just it's all about the heart and the attitude. Yeah. All right. So so far we've talked a lot about the values of finances, the heart behind generosity, and really just kind of the abstract and uh, theoretical side of finances. So let's kind of shift now for a moment towards the practical. How can people like actually implement this in their own homes? How does it relate to the uh, to their own homes? So maybe let me ask you this: Is finances in the home? Is it as simple as just making a budget, like sitting down at the dinner table and making a budget, or is it more than that? Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely much more than that. You can't sit at your dinner table. You have to sit in the backyard, number one, <laughs> with your legs crossed because it's a Zen thing. But no, it is it is more complicated than that. Um, so not to be overwhelming, but there's a whole lot of domains that overlap. You know, you've got you've got the investments, you've got tax. You know, you've obviously got your values mixed in there. You've got insurance, estate planning. There's a whole lot more to financial uh, planning than just the investment piece and all of that and the budgeting, the spending piece. Um, but it is an important piece. I think the problem with budgeting uh, most of the time is that we we kind of approach it backwards. And so I know we're shifting away from kind of the more ethereal, uh, you know, values-based side. But at the same time, uh, that's why it's it's important to circle back to what we said in the beginning of the podcast about having that clarity and that vision. So the difficulty with budget, the reason it's so hard for most people and complex is because we treat it like a crash diet, except for with our finances. And so we mm. we kind of get in these habits of counting our calories or tracking our dollars, and we do it for a month and a half, and then you'll find Good us point. eating Oreos on the couch at night. You hey, know, hey, hey, hey. That, <laughs> that was specific to you guys. <laughs> um, but so, so, you know, we kind of treat it like this crash diet thing, and uh, so we make it harder by approaching it without clarity and vision. So, again, if we if we can start with that, and we do that deep work up front, then budgeting becomes really easy because now all we're doing is actually prioritizing it according to these things that we've clearly laid out that are most important to us. But if you don't have that list and you don't have agreement um, in your home about that list, or at least to some degree, I'm not saying every single point of everything and every dollar spent will be totally 100% agreed upon. I mean, that would be great in a theoretical world, but um, you know, there's some flexibility on that. Maybe there's some fun money or spending money, you know, that each spouse gets and they can spend it on whatever they want. Um, but I need that wherever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there has where, to be where do you money, find fun money at. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, in the backyard, like I said, that's why you go there. Um, but yeah, so so we need that clarity. So a good a good verse to kind of come back to and draw from is Luke fourteen twenty eight where it's talking about, you know, who's going to build a tower without counting the cost first. I mean, that would be pretty dumb. And yet we do that every day with mm-hmm. our personal finances. It's true. Um, you know, we, we poorly construct maybe the idea of what we might want the tower to kind of look like. And then we just hope it works out and close our eyes and we're along for the ride. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where that principle comes from, of counting the cost of, of the lifestyle and, and, you know, the kingdom purpose that you think you've got with your finances in your life and trying your best to plot that out. Not, not precisely. It's going to change. Um, you, you know, as soon as you put together your plan, it'll be out of date. Um, and that's why the importance is not to be rooted in, in the plan itself, but the ongoing revisiting of the plan mm-hmm. and coming back in the planning and thinking and looking forward and, and casting vision that's coming from a place that's well thought out. 
Um, another good verse that talks about this uh, is James 4, um, so from verses 13 through 17. Uh, you can actually see it, it's talking about you know our, our life being a vapor, and, and basically you say you're going to go and do business here and there, and your life is but a vapor, mm -hmm. or however, whatever translation you're reading. Um, but instead, we should really just be, you know, saying, God, it's in your hands mm -hmm. is kind of the point of that passage. And so that doesn't negate the need for planning and forethought with our finances and with budgeting, um, but it does kind of give us a cue in that we should we should be planning, but we need to hold it loosely. So let's not get caught up in precision. Let's not get caught up in, you know, calculating what our utility bill is going to be in 36 mm -hmm. years. That's not the point, but we need a trajectory and a direction. And so the best way to do that is to go to values first. And so I know I know you're getting away from that, but it really all comes yeah. back to So that. what you're saying is it's not easy and it doesn't just fall into <laughs> You have lap. to be flexible. <laughs> exactly. And, and it does get easier. And, and the reason I, I say all that is that we do it backwards is because when you have that, it's really clear and you can do what's called reverse budgeting is what works for more people than not, I found. Um, most people approach it like a diet, you know, tracking calories kind of a thing. Um, when it's actually better if you just go ahead off the top, you're funding the things that, you know, in the future and the things that you're saving up for, whatever it is that your plan looks like, um, you're funding those things first. Obviously, in, in you know, my opinion, giving would be at the top of that list. But um, however you do it, that needs to happen first. And so you, by doing that, you've you've prioritized. And mm -hmm. so then what's left is, is what you make everything else fit around. And if you don't do that, what you find is you end up at the end of the month with more month than money, and then you, you can't fund all these goals, and maybe you can't give as generously as you want, and maybe retirement's not looking so great, you know, whatever retirement means to you. Um, but we need to have intentionality as we approach that, and so if we can, if we can come to the budgeting discussion and scrape that stuff off the top, um, it actually gets super easy, and that's one of the easier things to do. So it's not easy, it takes a lot of responsibility, but there are people in the world to help with that, right? So, so that's what you do in many ways, is you advise and you counsel people um, to help them make those decisions. Could you maybe speak to a second to how that isn't just total abdication of that responsibility? Like, how do you maintain the dignity of like, we're called to do this, like, is it, is it as easy as just, well, I'm just going to pay someone else to do it? Or do you have some kind of involvement that maintains that kind of like, no, you're actually the one doing this? Oh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the resources God gives you, obviously, you know, God God owns it all. You're stewarding it for him. Um, so it's not, not your money at all. So you need to, you know, invest it and, and use it according to his purposes. You can look at the, the parable of the talents to, to see that principle. Um, so clearly there's some accountability and responsibility and understanding needed to, to use that appropriately. So the, the buck really stops with you, certainly. How you steward your money is up to you. But there's plenty of biblical examples, uh, especially in the Proverbs, where you see uh, reference to wise counsel and mm -hmm. seeking out mm -hmm. wise counsel. And we do this in a lot of other areas. I think there's just a general skepticism around, around money and, and around wealth managers and people who do this because, quite honestly, there probably should be. There's been a lot of uh, <laughs> poor examples. Yeah. You know, the industry that I work in is born, again, like I said, out of a marketing message to sell products. It was... It was people going and making a market for stock so that companies could capitalize and, and have the money they needed to expand their operations. And so that didn't look like 
meeting up at somebody's dinner table and helping them plot out the best thing for their life and what God has for them, it looked like saying, hey, you should buy XYZ stock because mm-hmm. uh, because I need you to because that's my job. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, we there's been a, a large evolution and there's a, thankfully a lot more good people out there doing planning um, who aren't just peddling products, um, but they're actually trying to help people live the life that they want with the money that they have. And, and so um, that's kind of, you know, if, if you're seeking wise counsel, that there's biblical precedent for that. And uh, I would just challenge everybody to look for somebody who is doing this from a Christian point of view. Um, sure, there's a lot of people out there who are Christians who do this. It's very different, radically different from somebody who does this from, you know, who is doing Christian planning. Mm-hmm. Um, because that means we're pointing back to the scriptures. We're coming back for our principles and how we do things. And it's much more rooted in what we're actually aiming for. Whereas you can be a really, you know, nice guy and be a deacon in your church and then just still help people accumulate excess and not help them work through any of the theological or the hard aspects of it. And there's questions that have to be asked. If you you need you need good people to hold you accountable, where you know on some of these things, um, not in like a harsh way or you know as as in like I'm holding people accountable, like I'm telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. But when you tell me things that are important to you, it is important that I I hold people accountable to what they've said about themselves and their own wishes and. Um, you can very easily find people who aren't going to do that, and they're not going to give you biblical advice. They're just going to help you get a lot of money, and that's not going to help your heart. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. One of, one of the things I really like about the biblically responsible dynamic is that you counsel people to do what they are led to do, too. It's not just give me as much as your money as you're willing to part with, and I'll make you a bunch of more money, <laughs> and we can both part our ways, and that nothing more needs to be said. That you sit them down, and you explain to them, like, the Bible says this about this, and if you're a biblical Christian, and you care about these things, then we can put your money here, and we can um, we can strategize in this way or that way, and you get to pull the trigger. You get to make these decisions. I'm not going to make you do anything, but I'll help you put your money that aligns with the values that you have said that you agree with. And now once we get there, everyone's in a better place. Like you're helping me, I'm helping you. Like we're growing and we're bringing glory to God's kingdom. Like this is real kingdom work through investment strategies. That's the, that's the real beautiful thing I I like about the biblical responsible model. Yeah, absolutely. That that's the big thing for me too is it, it just really feels like worship. You take a thing that's a mundane task for most people and you reorient it and you point it back towards God. And, and man, it just changes the way you view everything. Um, and, and as an aside, it's it's helpful to note too, you know, uh, you know, if, if I'm encouraging somebody to give, that's, that's money I could manage, you know? So, uh, it's not good for my business in a sense, right. For me to tell, you know, when, when you manage assets and you partially, that's part of the way that I get paid, um, telling somebody to give away a big chunk of money, you know, if that's what they want to do and encouraging that, that's not something a lot of places are going to do because mm-hmm. that's kind of like taking money out of their own pocket. And so there, there's some little nuanced, uh, conflicts, you know, that, that come across with stuff like that too. Um, and so it's just, again, it's important to have somebody who aligns with you values wise, because they're actually going to understand the heart of it and what you're trying to do. And they can encourage things that to the world in a secular culture are not going to look wise necessarily from a financial or a mathematical standpoint. Um, they would much rather, a lot of people see that money, you know, compounding for the next 40 years and turn into this large, you know, value in the future. Right. But 
we know that there's riches, you know, and we're mm-hmm. storing up rewards in heaven. And uh, so, yeah, that's just a distinction that it, it needs to be made. And so when you find somebody, you know, just be sure you're asking questions about that. Find out if they're pointing this sort of thing back towards scripture or if they're just kind of Christians who happen to be in the industry. Uh, two very, very different things. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that the, the more secular model seems to be more fact-driven and the biblical model is more value driven so you kind of have this fact value distinction where um, you start with the values and then we go from there it could look like generosity where neither of us are making any money like uh, the the investor uh, the counselor or the the person stewarding that like we don't make money out of that but we know that we have the value of that so we give it whereas the more fact driven mentality would be no one profits out of this except for that guy and we're not really concerned about that guy we're concerned about us and making more money for us so we're not going to do that yeah. That's yeah. what I like is you care about the heart of the person that you're counseling or advising, however you want to say that. You care about their home. And then our theme at House Stone Podcast is an eternal haven in a temporary world. And I think that's really neat here talking about finances because you're not just concerned about temporary, how it's going to steward them now or make them the most money, but you're looking at the kingdom. You're looking mm-hmm. at the eternal. How are, How is this and how are, what are we doing practically? How is that helping to grow the kingdom of God? Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you said that because um, I did want to mention too, I, I think it's, it fits perfectly with the theme and, and with the podcast name because uh, when you look at Matthew 7, uh, I believe it's 24 through 27, don't quote me on that, but uh, you know it, it's talking about building your house on rock instead mm-hmm. of sand. And so uh, I use that illustration all the time to show people that you know, that's why we do this from a principle standpoint. We're coming to the Word and we're trying to build a solid foundation to, to build on uh, both financially and all, obviously also in our lives. And all of that starts here in the Bible, you know, and so very, uh, well, I, I guess Christocentricity, is, mm-hmm. is that how you would say it? Christo I, I feel like I've heard you say that. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Christo, there Christo. we go. Yep. See, I didn't say it right, but <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying. So, you know, really bringing it back to Christ and, and to the Bible and, and our faith on all of that and building you know, something that is solid, counting mm-hmm. the cost of what that's going to be, laying the proper foundation to do that. And then, uh, you know, and then that's where we get to a lot of the things that people make the big deal, which is investments, uh, because guess what? There's 24-7 news media <laughs> on, on investments. And so what you get, and this is, it's a graphic way to say it. So I, I don't, I guess if you have kids, cover your ears, but, you know, financial pornography, I, I think we've said it before, so I guess mm-hmm. we're okay. But, um, you know, that's what, that's what Carl Richards, uh, a thought leader in the industry calls it. Um, and he's not even, he's not coming from a Christian perspective as far as I can tell. Um, but I think it's a great label because, you know, we know that with traditional media and news sources that they're just having to keep something coming out and they're trying to, you know, catch you with the headline. And so with investments, it's the next hot thing, Mm -hmm. the hot stocks, the sexy picks that you want to get. And, uh, they make it all about that. And again, it comes back to selling products and, and it gets a lot of people. And so they're, you know, they end up hurting themselves more than helping because they're so focused on these short-term recommendations and things they're getting from, from the news media. Um, we really need to come back and lay the proper foundation. And those things, I'm telling you, are a small part of it. And, and they're really quite simple. Um, it's it's a, a lot about diversification, you know, mm-hmm. spreading things out, which is another biblical concept you can find in Ecclesiastes. And uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, it's just really... Uh, it's really important that we lay that foundation, uh, you know, at the Lord's feet. And that's, that's where we build it. And we build it on rock and not sand. Mm-hmm. All right. So David, to close it out, how can people find out more about BRI and even contact you if they're interested in talking with an advisor? 
Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to talk to anybody. So if anybody has any specific questions, um, you know, for me, you can email me at david at theother90.com. That's david at theother90.com. Um, so don't spell 90 out because that would be <laughs> wrong. <laughs> um, and if you have questions, you know, specifically uh, on the house to home side, obviously send them in for yep. the podcast. And um, we're, we're hoping to maybe answer and talk about some more things, answer some more questions mm-hmm. on future podcasts. We'll have them back for sure. Yeah. And uh, so if you, I guess the other thing I'd, I'd say is if you would like to learn, um, you know, more about what I'm up to or what I'm doing, you can always go to my website at www.theother90.com, uh, see what we're up to. I'm planning to launch a couple podcasts uh, in the future myself, hopefully looking at that in 2022. So um, especially if you're a pastor, uh, that might be of interest to you because we're going to try to hit some of the clergy tax stuff um, in one of those with a friend I have in Hawaii. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so if you want to learn more uh, specifically about what's in your investments too, um, you can reach out to me or obviously there's other people who do what I do as well uh, who can kind of run what we call an impact report and show you what's in your portfolio. And if you have companies, if you own stock in companies, uh, whether it's in your mutual funds or ETFs that are giving money philanthropically to you know abortion or pornography or human rights violations of some sort if they're if they're supporting those types of things then we can kind of show you that and then we can show you what a biblically responsible alternative would look like so that you can actually see an apples to apples comparison if you just want to see specifically what's in your investments um, without contacting anybody you can also go to inspire insight Dot com and type in the ticker of your stock, mutual fund, ETF, whatever it is that you own, and it'll actually uh, show you all of the violations and the positive things. That's and cool. so you can see what, what the good things are about the company and what the bad things are from a biblical perspective. So, uh, yeah, and, and beyond that, I would just say, I guess if I was going to leave you with any last thing for the audience, it would be to really get the foundation set right. So um, there's really three principles that I hope you leave with knowing today, and it's that number one, God owns it all. Number two, that you know we are stewards of his resources that he's entrusted to us, um, so we're, we're managers. And then number three, that money's a tool. And so uh, just focus on what you can control and go back to scripture and just try to glorify and honor God and make this a worshipful activity for you and your family. Hey listeners, this month is our last giveaway of the year, and in honor of that, we wanted to give you something very special. This month, we are giving away a Fruit of the Spirit devotional, just in time for us to start talking about fruits in the home come 2022. We will be discussing gentleness, goodness, self-control, patience, and the rest, and how we cultivate these fruits in our home lives. We are also giving away prayers in the home cards for you and your family to use. Both of these items are a gift from house to home to say thank you for your support thus far. If you'd like to enter to win, we are doing things a little bit different this time. This time, we ask that you go find your favorite podcast episode and share it to your stories, your Instagram feed, or even your Facebook. As long as you tag us, we will make sure you are entered. This helps get the word out about House to Home and also shows us what episodes you were most interested in. So thank you so much for your love and support. Merry Christmas and have a wonderful new year.